This is a podcast from RNIB's Insight Radio. We are making magazines accessible for you. That's what the Daily Lunch is all about. And it is the turn of Take a Break magazine today. And I am joined now by none other than Sean Gregory from Take a Break magazine, feature writer. How are you doing today, Sean? Um, lovely, thank you. How are you? Very well. Oh, it was a bit of bit of a struggle to get back to work after the festive season, but here I am, and things are going well. Did you feel the same way after having a bit of a break? I did definitely. Mm. It's amazing how you get used to yeah not being at work and doing nothing really quickly. I thought I could easily be unemployed. This is great. I agree. I thoroughly agree. But we've got to pay the bills one way or another. But <laughs> let's hear some stories from Take a Break magazine. It's my favourite show of the week. I really love hearing some of the stories that get written. And this one sounds very intriguing. It's entitled Betrayed by My Toy Boy. Yes, this one is about a woman named Deborah. She's 53 and she's on a holidays in the Gambia. Now, she's by the pool one day when she could feel her cheeks starting to burn. But it had nothing to do with the heat. It was the dance troupe she was watching. It was an African dance troupe called the A-Team. And she was watching them perform with her sister. And she whispered to her sister, Oh, he can come to my rescue any day. Because there was this one member of the dance troupe that she had her eye on. And he was shaking and shimmying in front of her. And when he caught Deborah Gorpin, he gave her a dazzling grin. So she was really pleased. Now, after the performance ended, the dancers all went to the bar where, where Deborah was sitting. And the man introduced himself. He said, I'm David. I'm glad you liked the show. And Deborah said, liked it. I loved it. So they got chatting and um, Deborah and Jacqueline were all ears as David told him about his life. He asked Deborah loads of questions about herself and Deborah felt really flattered that he'd taken an interest. But she didn't kid herself that it could be anything more because, for one thing, she was a divorced mum with eight grandchildren and David were about 20 years younger than she was. But at the end of the evening, when she was getting up to leave, David reached for a hand and he said, I like you, Deborah. Will you meet me tomorrow for a drink? And Deborah thought about it and, I mean, her head was saying, don't be daft, Deborah, he's young enough to be your son. But her heart was singing a different tune entirely and she found herself saying, oh, go on then, why not? So the next evening they had the date and by the end of it, she was smitten and David clearly felt the same. So over the next week, they spent as much time together as possible. They had walks on the beach and in the evening she watched him dance on stage. It was so romantic. On her last day, she hated it. She burst into tears as I said goodbye. And David said, oh, I don't want you to leave. I love you. And Deborah replied, I love you too. And she meant it. They vowed to keep in touch, both of them. And when Deborah was back at home in Swindon, David texted her constantly, begging her to return. So on a whim, Deborah booked another trip there. But as the holiday approached, David began to fret about where Deborah would stay as his lodgings were really small. So Deborah went, well, it's no problem, I'll just book a hotel. But David came up with a better idea. He said, well, if you send me £400, I can get us a house. And Deborah thought, well, this seems like a sensible solution. So she sent him the money and when she arrived in the Gambia, they moved in together. So over the next few months, Deborah flitted between David and the UK and every month she sent him £400 for their house so he had somewhere to stay when Deborah wasn't there. 
Now, on one trip to see David, he introduced Deborah to his younger brother, who was called Issa. Issa was a professional footballer, and Deborah warmed to him straight away. She thought, oh, like David, he's kind and friendly, and he made her feel right at home. So three happy years went by, and despite the distance between Deborah and David, she felt really lucky they were getting on really well. Now, one day, Deborah was at home in the UK making the tea when a phone rang. It was David, and he sounded really upset. He said, my mum is sick. Could you send me some money so I can visit her? Deborah went, of course, I'm so sorry. Now, a few weeks later, he rang her again asking for more money. He said, I've got to go and be with mum. I hope you'll be okay. You'll always be in my heart, Deborah. And Deborah realised what he was telling her. He was telling her that he were off. And her heart felt as though it were breaking in two. She said, goodbye, David. And then she put the phone down and started crying. Over the next few days, she called and texted David, but there were no reply. So she contacted his brother, Issa. And she said, David's broken things off with me. He says he needs to be with his mum. Now there are long pause from Issa. And then he said, our mother isn't ill. The truth is, David's cut all ties with us. He's completely disappeared. Now Deborah was stunned. She thought, but why would David lie to me? It were a mystery. A few days later, Deborah were at her daughter's house when the phone rang again. And she didn't recognise the number, but she answered it. And a woman said, is that Deborah? Yeah, she said, who's this? The woman said, I'm Michelle, David's wife. So Deborah listened with her mouth hanging open at that point and this Michelle explained how she'd married David two years before Deborah had met him and whenever Deborah had been in the UK, David had been with her, with Michelle, his wife. She even sent Deborah pictures of them together so that she knew that it were the truth. And suddenly, Deborah felt like a right idiot. I mean, by now, she'd already booked another trip to the Gambia and she did think about cancelling it, but she talked to Issa and he said, well, I'd like to see you. So she agreed to go. And when Deborah arrived at the airport, Issa was there to meet her. And she just said to him, I cannot believe that he fooled me. And Issa went, I'm so sorry. So they went back to her Gambian rented home and she told Issa everything. For the next few days, they went for walks and they talked and talked everything through. And she realised something. She was developing feelings for Issa. So they became a couple. And at first, she felt really guilty about falling in love with David's brother. But as time went on, she thought, well, David's just used me. You know, what me and Issa have got is the real deal. Why should I let that stand in the way? So this time, when they said goodbye at the airport, she felt like she was leaving a part of her behind in the Gambia, but with Issa this time. And as time went by, you know, everybody was sceptical because of what had happened with David, but everyone realised after a while that Issa wasn't just out to get her money. I mean, sadly... It didn't work out with her and Issa. The 25-year age gap between them began to show and she says that Issa was very immature and in the end she said, it's not going to work out. But now she's back at home again. She says, I'm older and wiser and she's staying single. She had a lot of fun with the toy boys, but in the end she said there was just too much hassle. Oh my goodness gracious me. I'm genuinely surprised at some of the things people get up to sometimes. I don't know how somebody could be so manipulative and and do that financially to her. That sound I don't know how he sleeps at night. It's awful. I know.
the commitment as well, just for that's what right. were it, like three or four years, you'd have to keep know, it up. I know, <laughs> that is amazing. But I, I do feel for Deb was it Deborah? Because yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if she loved him, then you know, your emotions like that can muddy your ideas and you're not you're not thinking straight sometimes if so your emotions can cloud those sort of feelings. Oh, that exactly. was uh, it was such a shame. But yeah, age gap love that also raised the idea at the end there bet- between her and Issa, the twenty five year gap. Yeah. You know, uh, some people it works for, but you know, generally I think it, it is a bit of a challenge for some relationships to to get past that. But this is Take a Break magazine, some stories from it on the daily lunch. And our next one, Sean, is called Don't You Dare Leave Me. Yes, this one, it's about a woman named Michelle. And she walks into her kitchen one day and sees her husband, David, and their two sons, Corey and William. They've just come back from the park and they're covered head to toe in mud. So she looks at them and she sees a puddle of sludge seeping across kitchen floor as well and she feels a nag coming on. She thinks, for heaven's sake, look at this day to you. But before the words could reach her mouth, Corey said, don't worry, mummy, it'll wash off. And Michelle just burst out laughing. Like the truth was, she wasn't much of a nagging wife because she didn't need to be. David were a wonderful husband and he were a great dad to Corey and William. And she'd often say, oh, I'm so lucky to have you. And David would reply, don't be daft, I'm the lucky one. You know I'll never leave you and the boys. And Michelle believed it. And then something happened one day. David had just come in from an evening out with his friends and he were putting the bins out when all of a sudden he just fell over. And at first, Michelle thought that David were playing a prank and she started laughing. She went, oh, what are you doing? But when he didn't reply, she went over to him and she got a shock. David's eyes were rolling back in his head and he was gasping for air. So she panicked, rang an ambulance, but as she did, she noticed his lips were turning blue and she shouted at the operator, oh my God, he's not breathing. Now the operator told her to start CPR and she followed his instructions. Within minutes, an ambulance arrived and the paramedics began working on David. His heart had stopped and it took nearly an hour and 13 electric shocks for him to restart it. I mean, by then, Michelle were fearing the worst. She kept thinking, we've lost him. What am I going to tell the boys? So she called David's family. They came over and Michelle went with David in the ambulance to hospital. His family followed in the car and while the doctors got to work on David, a nurse was sat with Michelle and holding her hand and Michelle said, I never thought it had come to this. I mean, David, he was 35, he'd had a heart defect and he took medication, but up until then it had never ever been a problem. They'd always thought it was just something he'd grow old with. But now, obviously, she was realising just how serious it was. Now, when she went into intensive care to see him, her legs turned to jelly. David was unconscious. One machine was breathing for him and another monitored his heartbeat. After a few minutes, a doctor came in to see him and he said, David's had a cardiac arrest. It's not looking good. So Michelle listened and he explained that there was just a 10% chance that David had pulled through. And even if he did, Michelle were told he'd have significant brain damage. The doctor said, I'm really sorry, but you need to prepare to say your goodbyes. And then Michelle looked at David's mum. Her face had gone white as if all the life had drained out of her. And Michelle knew what she was thinking. David was her son. He was Michelle's husband, the father of them two little boys. And all of a sudden, Michelle thought, how can we say goodbye to him? Suddenly, something inside just snapped. She leant over, she gripped David's hand and she went, don't you leave me, David. Don't you dare. And she didn't have a clue if he could could hear her or not, but she kept going. 
She said, you promised me, you told me you would never ever leave me and the boys. There were no response, but she didn't stop. She thought, if David's going to survive, I'm just going to have to nag him back to life. So all that night, she remained by his side, talking and talking. She was saying, you're too young to die. I won't let you go. Open your eyes. The boys need you. But as morning came, there were no change. So she tried a different tack. She picked up her phone and she started texting him. Don't leave me. You promised you'd look after it, look after me forever. She sent it to him. I'm texting you, she said. I'm telling you that you can't die, okay? So she just carried on nagging. And then eventually, that day and the next, David's family joined in as well. His mum and his sisters sat with her as she kept talking and they took turns resting in chairs, but their mouths never stopped. Sometimes they cajoled and coaxed him. Other times they just shouted at him. They were saying, come on, David, you need to wake up now. You've been asleep long enough. <laughs> just thinking, poor David. He's probably the most hempecked man in Britain and he's not even awake. But then, three days after he'd collapsed, she spotted something. She said he's trying to take his tube out. So after that, they doubled their efforts again. Up went the volume and the brow beating. Wake up, David. This isn't fair, David. And three days later, he'd finally had enough of them. His eyelids flickered and he started blinking. Now, Michelle took a deep breath and said, what year is it? He told her, where are you? Hospital. So she turned to the others and went, oh, he's back. But there were one final test they had to, had to carry out. David's mum said, do you know who we all are? Now he looked around the room and began to name them all one by one and then his gaze fell on Michelle. He went, oh, I know you. You're Joanne. That were an old friend's name and for a second Michelle just panicked. Then she saw the corner of David's mouth twitch into a smile. She went, oh, very funny. I think you're going to be just fine. But truth be told, it was nothing short of a miracle. I mean, they'd been told David would probably not survive and yet there he was chatting away and playing jokes. So the doctors changed his heart medication after that and within days it was well enough to come back home. But he didn't remember anything about collapsing. Michelle said, didn't you hear me nagging you? He said, no. She thought, well, it's probably for the best. <laughs> so now David's back to getting muddy with the boys and putting out the bins. But if it's a second longer than normal, Michelle says that she starts nagging him just in case. Oh my God, what a touching story. That was really emotional. Oh. I thought that it wasn't going to have a happy ending and then it got really quite amusing. Nagged <laughs> out of a coma. That's amazing. That really is something that else. That could be a professional job. I know, I know. hospital nagging people awake. <laughs> I'd be good at that. That'd be well, excellent. I, I'm sure lots of people would be good at that, but I'm not <laughs> mentioning any names. Sean Gregory from Take a Break magazine, thank you so much for reading some stories for us today on Insight Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast from RNIB's Insight Radio. For more podcasts, check out insightradio.co.uk.